this is week three of our series on grief. Um, how many's enjoying the homework? Ho- hopefully, you love homework. I, I know I loved it in school when uh, my teachers handed me homework. I always thought a lot of those kind of teachers, and <laughs> so I kind of feel that's why you guys are looking at me right now because the preacher's giving us homework. But it come with a series. Might as well do it. Amen. Might as well do it. So week three, here we are in this series. Um, I've enjoyed this series so far just on uh, learning and thinking about and uh, causing myself to look back and perceive things maybe in a different way than I've thought of before because grief hits us all in different ways in different levels, at different times, in different manners. But we're all, as humans, not exempt from grief. That grief is part of what we will live in our humanity. And we talked a little bit in week one about, you know, that there is uh, those that deal with grief, some people in in a silent manner, in a... uh, in a way where they don't talk to everybody. They just recluse and pull themselves in and are a loner and won't really get the grief out. And last week we talked about how that we need to push through that and press through that and verbalize and speak to and talk to others about our grief. Everybody say grief ain't easy. Now look at your neighbor and tell them grief is not easy. And as I told you, you know, this series, the one when it came up, I was like, it was a series that I didn't want to do because of recently losing my father. Um, and, you know, I, I've always thought that I knew what Dusty felt. And I prayed for Dusty often. And on Father's Day, he would be in a different demeanor than he would other days of the year. And I always thought I kn- felt like I knew what Dusty was feeling. But until you lose it yourself... It's when you walk in their shoes and when it becomes a reality. And grief is not easy. And many of you in the room have lost fathers, and a lot of you lost fathers way too young. I'm grateful that I got to have mine until I was 48 years old and lived the best parts of that life. And the biggest blessing I know of that I I just keep thinking back to is the Sunday before Dad went to the hospital on a Tuesday was when I said from this pulpit that God had showed me that week that I was able to say that my dad was my hero. And I told him I would say, God, that I would say sorry to Mom for not being the man that my dad was. And if you all remember that moment, I had no idea that that was a moment that I was speaking, that mom would go home and have my dad to listen to that sermon. And that's the last sermon my dad ever heard on this earth, that he heard his son say, who's a preacher and been it for a while, he heard me say that my dad is my hero. And me and my dad's relationship was one where that we didn't speak those things very much, 
he was one to say I love you in words but he said I love you in deeds and he said I love you in ways that I can't expound on here my dad loved me and grief is real and grief is tough but grief is reality. So, sometimes we need silence and not a lot of words. So some people, you know, that as you go through these cycles of life where someone passes and there will be people that come in to the family and they'll talk way too much. <laughs> Anybody ever encountered some of those kind of people that talk too much? Maybe you need to look straight forward and don't look at that person beside of you because it might be them. <laughs> and some people say, you know, I don't know what to say when I go, and I, I, I'd rather than just not go and, and meet with the family because I really don't know what to say. But I can assure you this, if you'll just go and you'll just sit there, your presence will be enough. And you can sit in silence with them if that's what they want. And if they start talking and start bringing up memories and wants to talk, let them go ahead and talk. But if they're looking at you rolling their eyes every time you're talking, here's your sign. <laughs> the sign is what? Shut up. <laughs> they ain't telling you to leave. They're not telling you to get away. They're saying, just sit still a minute. Silence is not a bad thing. Can any of the parents say amen? I think that's why we put our kids out there outside. I don't know. It's a church. Silence is a good virtue. Not really. We love kids. Love lots of them. So thinking about silence and how it's a good, um, come on, Elsie, I'm talking about silence, man. <laughs> She's my buddy, my absolute buddy. As Stephanie goes in the room after and takes care of the church finances and all that stuff, I, I usually get left with Elsie Faye out here walking around. We talk and walk and have a good time. But silence is a a place that we need and silence is something that we as humans that God can use it that it can be used to help us and I wrote this down as a quote and I, I want I've not read this that I know of unless it's just something come back to mind but this is a quote that I wrote down that I want to say and Hopefully it's a Benism, so if you get me for plagiarism, I unknowingly did this, okay? So this, this is something I wrote down. The library is filled with silence, but yet it is full of knowledge. So when we go to the library, it's a place where there should be silence, and you've all seen the TikToks and the reels or whatever you want to call them, where the guy goes in the library and has 
plays loud music and stuff. It's it's awful, really, to, to go in the library. It's supposed to be silence. It's like a nature that you know when you go in the library. It's supposed to be a place where you don't go in and make a lot of noise because people's in there trying to read or study or work on their homework or whatever. So a library is a place of silence, but yet it is full of knowledge. And what I'm saying in saying that is this, that in silence you can learn. That silence is something, when those moments hit, entertain the silence, enjoy the silence. But the key is to be learning in that silence. And there's times in our life where that that silence is there from God, that You'll be praying prayers and you'll be asking and, and requesting things of God and have all these questions and you don't get the answers back. Has anybody ever had that happen where that you've prayed a prayer and felt like you didn't get an answer? But in the midst of that silence, maybe God has lessons that you're learning because he's causing your mind to think thoughts in the silence, rather than speaking through his voice and in words, the silence is yet speaking and knowledge is being imparted into your being. His word will not return void. And the word that he has already put inside of you, Jesus said, it's better I go away because the Holy Spirit's going to bring all these things to remembrance. And when you're remembering, that's where God is working. Even in silence, that those words will pop back up, that you'll remember Scripture in the midst of silence, that you're not hearing from God audibly, or even like your spirit man is not hearing, but his word is ever speaking. And we need to accept that his word is life. This Bible that we hold, this truth that we hold in our laps, speaks even when God is silent. So there's all kinds of seasons in the Bible and accounts in the Bible where that people, you know, Daniel prayed and, and he's had this prayer and he's going on for 20 days, you know, and, and he, he's just praying and praying and praying, needing God to move. And all of a sudden, the angel comes, the angel comes and says, well, I was dispatched 21 days ago. Did Daniel know that? No, he just kept praying. So sometimes as we're praying, we don't understand or know that God is moving behind the scenes and setting some things in order. And it may sound like silence, but God is not silent. God is not inactive. God is not responding. He's doing some things behind the scenes. Amen. If we let him do what he does, we'll be a lot better off. Even though I don't feel it, even though I don't hear it, even though I don't see it, and it don't look like anything's moving, yet God is back there instrumenting and doing things and setting some things in order. So he knows better what to be doing than you do. If you knew more than him, you'd go ahead and fix it, wouldn't you? How many's done a good job at fixing your own life? Anybody in the room? I, you're an expert at, at fixing? I'm an expert at messing up. Amen? I made a mess of my life, and God has set some things in order when I give him my life to put it in a new path so that I, the things I've messed up, he's fixed. He's worked them out, Betty. He caused some people that I was angry with and that was angry at me to be at peace with me. Why? Because that's what he does. That's what he proved in his word, and that's what he said in his word he would do. 
He will cause even your enemies to be at peace with you. That's who God is. That's who God is. That's what God does. Even in silence, he's still acting. Amen? How many's ever had your kid get in trouble? I, I guess all parents, more than likely, should be amen. And Chuck, I know there's something inside of you there, but you can still amen. Okay. <laughs> How many's ever put your kid in time out? I got timed out all right. Dad took the paddle to me. That was my time out, but mom was more of the time out kind. She she liked time out. And her time out was, I'm telling your dad when he gets home. <laughs> and then I got to worry about it, Wayne, all day. You know, I messed up early in the morning, get to wait all day, wait on dad to come home. That's a lot of time out. <laughs> and you try to butter up to mom and make her, oh, come on, please don't tell mom, you know. It's kind of like on a Christmas story. <laughs> him just sitting there hoping that dad's reading the paper. Please let him talk about ball or something, and the mom does that. But he buttered her up all day to get it to that point. Time out is a real thing. Time out works. But how many's got a kid where if you put them in time out, they don't shut up? <laughs> there you go. They want to talk the whole time, and you're like, that's not time out. Time out is you can't talk no more. So every time you talk, the time's going to start over, right, Kimmy? You got, uh, that's a reset. There's a lesson to be learned in silence, child. Be quiet. How many ever had one of those teachers that went up on a chalkboard? Some people don't even know what chalkboards are, but, I mean, we're in a different generation, I guess, but it speaks to my age, Chuck. I can't help it. So they'd go up on the chalkboard, and they'd draw a circle. How many ever had a teacher do that? Draw a circle. And what'd you have to do? Put your nose in it. And the whole class is back there learning, and you're up there with your, Earl, you look like you're guilty. I don't know what's going on here, but <laughs> he's such a good student and kid, he said. But you're standing, and those really, really good teachers, they were the ones who would make it taller than you are. You got a tiptoe to get to it. Now your calves are burning, your legs, you're pulling everything, you know, all them ligaments, ACL, all, all those things. And you're, you're stretching, trying to get there and keep your nose in it. In the midst of that, how, if you've ever had that happen, Shannon, you look guilty too, I'm just saying. In the midst of that, you do a whole lot of learning. How many likes being in front of the class? Not very many people. There are some people that loves being in front of the class. I was never one of those people. I don't like being up here, but here I am. If it's what God tells us to do, you just do it. I didn't like being up in front of that class, but I've done that more than once, that I had my nose on a chalkboard, stand there long enough, and I guess whatever the teacher figured out, well, they probably learned their lesson, go back and get in your seat. The lesson was learned. In my silence, right? Sometimes I wonder if God is like those teachers. Now maybe none of you deserve that kind of treatment because you're just his perfect little children. <laughs> but here we find ourselves that God places us in a position 
whether where you have to be humbled. It's a humbling thing to stand there with your backside to the class for 25 minutes. Your nose stuck to the board, hoping it doesn't have a reset. And in the midst of that moment, you're learning. And I wonder if God does us that way sometimes, Betty. He tells us, you've talked too much. You've shared too many notes. You spilled too much pop in the floor. Whatever you did to deserve the treatment to get the correction you got, Bible says that God chastised those he loved. If you correct your kids, that means you love them. In. Amen, Elizabeth, right? <laughs> I just want to make sure he wasn't asleep. He, he was smiling. But that treatment is there. Why? Because you love them. You don't want them to go off into life as adults, never learning any lessons, not knowing how to act, not knowing how to treat others. You correct them because you love them. That's the way God does us. And sometimes the silent treatment is not nice because whenever a kid is, is small, if you give them the silent treatment, you ever tried that? Some kid is acting like a hoodlum, you just turn your back to it. Every time they come over here, you just turn again. Like, I don't see you, I don't even know you're there. It kills them, don't it? Why? Because they're longing for your attention. God knows us better than we know ourselves. And if sometimes he's correcting us, or teaching us a lesson, the best thing we can do is pay attention. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. And if we allow him to do that work, we will turn out better than we was before it began. And I'm not saying that grief and some of this stuff that we're, we're going through, this grief isn't just about loss. Grief comes by a lot of different ways and, and a lot of different things. And I'm not saying God has taken people from us to teach us a lesson, but I assure you this, that he can teach us lessons through it. It's not his will that any perish. God don't like death. He didn't create death. Adam and Eve took a bite out of a fruit that caused death to come upon humanity. God didn't intend for it to be that way. It's not his purpose for us to die. And if we've lost people, that was not God's will it's just the way it is. So we can't blame God for taking them. And that's easier said than done. And I, I learned yesterday that Dad's one of his best friends. His older cousin passed away. And, I mean, they spent Sundays together for the past 10 years. Dad didn't even know it, but his friends were there. And they would stick together. And that grief is real. And it seems unending. It seems like it's just wave after wave after wave. And I know all the rumors that we hear, it comes in threes and all this stuff that we say as humans. Death is all around us. Death is not easy. Death is complex. But according to the New Testament, death, where is your sting? Death, where is your sting? That we're all, we're appointed a time to die, but we don't have to suffer death.
Death is an eternal absence from God. Dying means we leave this life and go to another. There is eternal life. How many would rather have eternal life than eternal death? That this world feels like we're dying on a, on a slow, gradual drift that we can't stop. That feels like you're trying to hold on to the rope and hold on here and want to stay longer. And it feels, it feels the older you get, the quicker it goes. It's a reality. And we sit around and we look one day and we look and we got white in our beard and gray in our hair. And it just, things change. But you know, Jesus himself... On the cross. Eli, Eli. And as he's praying. And the Bible says that he gave his last breath. That he gave up the ghost. And the next thing you know. They're taking his lifeless body down off that cross. And there's some guy comes up the hillside. And we're heading towards Easter here. Right? We're coming into this season. And Livy looked beautiful in her. I, I thought it was her Easter dress, Jess. I don't know. Maybe it wasn't, but maybe she put it on early. Okay. Well, you have to, you know how that is. Little girl, she sees that pretty dress. It ain't going to wait. Go ahead and get it on, right? But on this, this night, and Jesus is giving up the ghost, and they take his lifeless body, and they, they put it in that grave. And then the next thing you know, there's a Saturday where that. There is a silence. And this is the man that had walked around and they said, if you speak the word, my servant will be healed. If you come and my little girl, Tabitha, that has passed away and if you walk in the room, she'll come back to life. Here this body lays lifeless in this temporal form in this tomb. And it's what's known as Holy Saturday. It's a Saturday of silence. He's not talking. He's not walking. He's not laying hands on sick. He's not speaking miracles. He's laying lifeless, silent. But in that silence, is there an inaction of God? Absolutely not, because He's working behind the scenes, right? And you can find out in Peter, writes later, that Jesus went and preached to those that were in captivity. So his body, physical body, might have been laying lifeless, but Jesus himself, the God of heaven, was down there preaching to those that had been before him and telling them about the good news. I've come to set you free. And ain't you glad that Scripture says, He who the Son set free is free indeed. That is us today in this room that we've given our life to Him. I've handed Him death that I was inherited because I'm a child of Adam and Eve, but yet I find myself in this position that I've gave Jesus my life, and when I have gave Him mine, He gave me His, and His is eternal. This was temporal, and He's eternal. Isn't this beautiful that this lifeless body yet preaches? What should we be doing? We should be sending missionaries throughout the world. And it's not easy being a missionary. It's not fun being a missionary. You know, we can take these trips and go over there on aim trips all we want to and hobnob around for a minute. 
But these people are giving their lives for the sake of this gospel of Jesus Christ. And it's a scary thing. And they lay in night sometimes without electricity, in darkness, utter darkness, in fear of what will happen tomorrow. Will I ever see my family again? It's real. It's right before us. But the best thing you can do in that, dark, in that darkness is do what Jesus did. Keep on preaching. Keep on speaking. Keep on talking about life. We got a video I want to show here. If you could cue that up. They were given sake as the Roman soldier offered vinegar to the dying Christ. I prayed they remembered our Lord's suffering and took courage and comfort from it. That was from a movie that was created a few years ago to show a story from several hundred years ago that a missionary went to Japan to tell about Jesus. It was known as the underground church and that's still yet alive today in a lot of places. If I don't cause you to be silent, I don't know what will. And those people that stood watching were friends and family and loved ones. 
that the government was trying to say. Denounce Jesus. And a lot of them would mock him and say, where's he now? It's scary, and it's hard, and it's tough. And it makes it hard to read verses like this. In Lamentations chapter 3, verse 25, it says, The Lord is good to those who wait for him. When that's your reality that you're living, those words are hard to read. And when grief comes in waves like those waves, it's hard to read these words and have hope. But God knows better than we do. And that's where Paul says we see in the glass dimly. We cannot see the whole picture. And we cannot make sense of anguish and pain and suffering and sorrow and distress. And that's where it says in Romans that what shall separate us from the love of God? Can anything separate us from the love of God? Why don't God show up? And we're praying prayers and asking. Where are you at, God? And in the midst of that silence, we have to figure out what are we going to do? Are we going to trust Him? Or are we going to walk away? Walking away is easy. And it's easy to get mad and say, I'm just walking away. I don't want to serve a God. There's a God like that. But the question we have to ask is this. Does God cause suffering? Does God cause loss? Does God impose grief upon us? And even when we can't hear, we have to decide, is he still working or not? And I don't know about you, but I'm to the point in my life where I have to trust him. Because I can't fix it. I can't fix it. Because if I could, I would. 
He didn't intend for it to be this way. He put Adam and Eve in a garden of Eden of perfection. And the devil come through and messed it up. That's not God's fault. But even in the midst of that mess up of Adam and Eve, as we said a few weeks ago, in Genesis 3, woman, you'll bear seed, right? And your seed will bruise the head of the serpent. And that was a prediction and a precursor announcing that I'm sending away to fix the mess that was made. That was Jesus. And if you don't know him today, you need to know him. Because life is tough. And grief is tough. And loss is tough. And sorrow is tough. But you're better with Jesus by your side, as I said in week one, than you are trying to do it alone. I got a note wrote down here. In our darkest times, we can feel utterly alone. No presence of God, no words from God. No movement in the world. These times are well known to us all, including God. In these times, the best advice is to be reminded of the promises. Remember that what God has said is true despite all the seeming evidence to the contrary. Remember that Jesus has promised to save, deliver, heal, set free, and he has promised this and his promises. And he who promised them is faithful according to scripture. See, there's this woman in the New Testament in Matthew chapter 15. She come to Jesus. And I've heard some people preach and listened to some stuff that said, you know, that she walked 20 some miles that day to get to him. And her baby was vexed. Her child was in a terrible situation. And she was trying to find a way And she had heard that there's this man over here a few miles away that can speak the word and she'll be made whole. And she goes to Jesus and she comes to him and she looks at him and she begins to call out in the crowd and says, you know, Master, Son of David. And Scripture says in Matthew 15 that Jesus spoke not a word. This woman had a baby that she was longing to see live and not hurt any longer. And she comes and she cries to Jesus, Heal my baby. And it says, Jesus spoke not a word. There's something about being humble and coming to Him. And sometimes this silence... We need not allow it to affect our persistence. Because she kept coming. The disciples even told Jesus, said, get her away from us. She's bothering all of us. We got an agenda to do. We got activities to do today. And we can't be troubled by this. That's what the disciples said. And then all of a sudden you see that Jesus is there and she keeps persisting. My child 
is in a terrible situation. Jesus, what, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? Heal my baby. And this woman wasn't a, a, a Jewish person. She wasn't an Israelite. She wasn't a person that was supposed to be one of the churchy people. She was an outsider. Here she finds herself in a position that she's coming to a, 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 a person that she's heard rumors, this is God in flesh, the God of the Israelites, the God of the Jews. And she finds herself falling on her knees crying out to Him to try anything to save her baby. Does that sound like us? What would you have me do? Heal my baby. She said, Master, Son of David, hear this. That sometimes even dogs eat at the master's table and they get crumbs. You've heard these verses before and you've read them before in your Bible. She's saying, I'm not worthy in a position and in a relationship with the Jewish people to earn this or deserve this. But I'm asking, even dogs get crumbs off the table. It's a terrible place to feel, to be where we feel like we're dogs. But as Jesus answers this, He says this word, In all of Israel I've not found this kind of faith. You see, the church people, Pharisees, the Sadducees, all those, they had all kinds of issues and situations and stuff going on. They had all the answers. This woman had a problem they couldn't fix. Jesus did, though. Her persistence, her staying with it and not say, taking no for an answer the first time. Because when he spoke not a word, the, most people would give up right then and say, well, he didn't answer. I'm just going to turn around and walk off. I didn't hear his answer. It's just time to leave. Persistence is staying when you don't know yet what God is going to do. And in the midst of our situations that we find ourselves in today, it's not time to throw in the towel. If you've contemplated throwing in the towel and saying, I've tried the church stuff and it didn't work out and it didn't seem to be what I thought it was and it seems like, oh, I hear silence and I'm praying and I don't hear God and I just, it just, it'd be easier just to walk away and go back to the old man I once was and have all kinds of fun all over again. That's not the place I'm finding myself today. I want that sometimes. I desire that sometimes. I think that thought sometimes, but I'm not throwing in the towel, Rick, because that'd be easy. I'm going to keep on keeping on. I'm going to keep on having the faith to stay in this fight. Why? Because he that endures to the end shall be saved. And I need to be saved because the wretched man that I am will not inherit heaven on my own accord and on my own account and on my good, own good deeds. The only way I'm going to get to heaven, Betty, is if Jesus gets me there. I've got to be faithful in this journey. in the darkest times and in times of silence God is still working 
And I want to tell you that today in this place, some people in this room find yourself in a position today that you're feeling like you're alone, that you're abandoned, that you haven't heard for a long time. And it's that way in the Old Testament. There was 400 years one time that no voice was heard, no, uh, no prophecy was given. There was 400 years of silence from God to humanity. But guess what? God was still doing some stuff because Jesus was coming. Don't lose heart. Whatever you do, do not lose heart. God is still working. Look at your neighbor and say, don't throw in the towel. You may feel like you're getting beat up. And we've all seen the Rocky movies. Amen. We've all seen Hulk Hogan laying on the floor and lifeless and looking like he wasn't moving. Next thing you know, one finger will start twitching. Because why? Because there's still life. There's still something happening. And that may be how you feel today. Don't give up on God. Do not throw in the towel. And even if you find yourself on that cross like those three guys 500 years ago found themselves. Because the people over there with the big hats and the fancy spears and all the stuff, the authority that they had on this earth was saying, denounce him and we'll take you down. Give up on God and we'll let you live. And those guys on the cross were saying, you don't know what it means to live because I get eternal life after this one's over. I'm not giving up now. I'm not throwing in the towel. I'm going to hang with him till the end no matter what. I want us to all to pray a prayer. I've got homework that Wayne, can you take us to the back and hand these out for all these pitiful folks needing homework for the week? If you'll bow your head and close your eyes, no one looking around. This is between you and God. Maybe you're sitting in this place today and you found yourself here yet again. And you keep letting God off and you keep telling Him, I'm going to give you my life. I will someday. And you keep holding off, hoping for another day. Tomorrow's not promised to any of us. I just encourage you today to not wait any longer. to make today the day of salvation as scripture says so if you're in this place today and you do not know God but you're sitting here saying I want the salvation that you're speaking about preacher I want to have this eternal life that you're talking about that will cause me to get through and face even dire situations even death itself that I'll be able to face it knowing that I have an eternity to live and be there forever Today is the day of salvation. And in Kentucky, Lewis County language, the best way I know to say it is this. Today would be a good day to get saved. Nobody's going to laugh at you because that's what the enemy's telling you. That's what he told me when I gave my life to Jesus, that the enemy was telling me. They'll laugh at you. Your family's going to ridicule you. They're going to act like you're somebody. And don't listen to any of that. 
If God's voice is drawing you and say, come unto me, all of you that labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. If you hear that still small voice speaking to you saying, come, today is the day. Come to my salvation. The best thing you can do is simply give Jesus your life. Don't worry about your neighbor. Don't worry about the what ifs. Nobody looking around, every head bowed, every eye closed. Is there anybody in the room that say, Preacher, I need to be saved, and today is my day. I want to be saved. I just want you to lift up your hands and say, That's me. Today's the day of salvation. Today's the day I need to be saved. And Jesus is working on my heart. And I'm answering right now, and I'm saying, I'll give you my life. Just lift up your hand. Today's the day. He's drawing in this place. Don't be afraid. Don't say, I'll wait till next week. Today is the day. Is there anyone that would say, I need to be saved? here because God's saying I'm going to speak in silence it's too important to put it off just lift up your hand say preacher I want to pray young person not promised forever. Young or old. Okay. Just lift up your hand. I know you want to. God knows you want to. He's calling. And I promise you, I, I normally don't wait this long. But God's saying, give them time. My courage is running through their veins right now. And as your pastor, I'm begging you, if you don't know him, lift your hand. God will not stop drawing. 
God will not stop calling. He's relentless in his chase after you. He earnestly desires and he's bidding you come, bring your faults, bring your failures. Do not try to clean yourself up enough that I will accept you. You're a mess. You're in trouble. And only I can provide salvation. And he's saying, come. And even if we walk out these doors and you don't accept him in this room, he's not going to stop chasing you. And wherever you find yourself, I've heard of people that got saved riding tractors. I've, got, I've heard people getting saved fishing. I've heard of people all alone in silence by themselves, just them and God. And God met them right where they was at. Even if you leave this place today not raising your hand and you're sitting here and your contrite heart and your heart is troubled and you're perplexed and you feel your heart beating faster than it should be and the Holy Spirit's working, when you walk out those doors, all you've got to do is say, Jesus, save me. Be Lord of my life. I give you my sins. There's no special words that you have to pray. There is not a sinner's prayer in the Bible. It said those, he is near to those of a contrite heart. He, he's there. He's present. He's chasing. He's wooing. He earnestly desires you come into this family of God. He does not want you to live eternity lost and undone without him in a place that he created for the devil known as hell. That's not God's desire. Father, I pray, God, that you would help us see the usefulness of your silence. And God, in the midst of those situations, just like a library we began this sermon with today, God, I pray even in the midst of silence, that God, that knowledge would be imparted and engrafted on the tablets of our heart that you promised you would do. God, for those that's hurting in this room that is dealing with grief, the sorrow and the waves keep coming, God, I pray that you encourage them. Even in your silence, God, that you would give them a working knowledge that you're doing something. Father, that you would work on us and be the master of our lives and encourage us. Even in your silence doesn't mean you're absent. That we would know that you're near to us. And that you're that friend that sticks closer than a brother. God, help us to see the usefulness of your silence. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.